I despise the Cowboys. I have nothing against people who like the Cowboys. I don't like the Cowboys. When I was young, uh, I loved the purple and gold. I loved the Minnesota Vikings and Fran Tarkington. I had a little brother. I'm the oldest of three. There's Stephen, Charles, we call Chuck, and Alan. <clears throat> Alan saw the star on the helmet and the blue and the silver and loved the Dallas Cowboys immediately. I don't remember what birthday it was. It was November. November 7th is Alan's birthday, and the Cowboys were actually in town to play the Redskins. He was probably six, seven, or eight years old. My mom had this idea to call the hotel where the Cowboys were staying and ask for Roger Staubach's room. <laughs> because she wanted Roger Staubach to, to wish my brother a happy birthday. She called, she left a message, he wasn't available. She called again, he wasn't available. Alan's young, he wants to play, it's his birthday. He actually leaves the house. And my mom tries again. And Roger Stallback got on the phone. Now listen, for those of you who are under 40 years old, I realize this means nothing to you. Roger Stallback is a nobody. To me, he is a legend. That made a profound impact on my family, that Roger Stallback actually got on the phone. Now, now, Alan is out of the house. I had to run out of the house, run up the hill, yelling, Alan, Alan, get home, Roger Stallback's on the phone. The whole neighborhood came running with him. And they all watched my little brother on the phone talking to Roger Stallback. That made a profound impact. My parents loved the Cowboys from that moment on. <laughs> My brother Chuck loved the Cowboys from that moment on. I'm the holdout. Go Vikings. <laughs> Within a couple years later, the Cowboys come back to town. My mom and dad actually drive us to Crystal City to the hotel where the Cowboys are staying. We have pictures of us meeting Roger Stallback, Two Tall Jones, Harvey Martin, Charlie Waters, Drew Pearson. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm standing there. Wait, there's three of us. Alan in his Dallas Cowboy jacket. Chuck, his Dallas Cowboy jacket. Steve in his purple Minnesota Viking jacket <laughs> with all these Dallas Cowboys. Fran Tarkenton retires, obviously, and I'm a little bit teamless now. Obviously, it's a natural gravitation toward, I love the Cowboys, love, live and die with every game. As a matter of fact, that touchdown pass Joe Montana threw to Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone to beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship tore my heart out. <clears throat> then, 1989 happened. Remember what happened in 1989? Jerry Jones bought the Dallas Cowboys. 
Jerry Jones. I have nothing against the man, at least at the time. Within a couple weeks, Tom Landry was fired. Matter of fact, Tom Landry learned about being fired, do you remember? By a reporter knocking on his door and saying, how do you feel about being fired? He was never even told. I have not rooted for the Dallas Cowboys since that day. I despise, you take a man, an honorable man like Tom Landry and treat him like that? How can I root for your team? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate that, but I do. <laughs> I appreciate that, but I do. Ah. So, listen, since 1989, I've been teamless. I find myself each year rooting for somebody, uh, just depending on the whim of the time. So I'll root for Peyton Manning here or you know, just somebody. Hey, maybe it's time for this team. I, I have even rooted for the Patriots. <laughs> Though not when they were undefeated and played the Giants. I was rooting very hard for the Giants to take that. <laughs> My brothers feel differently than I do. That 1989 incident did not affect them in the least. They love the Cowboys. My little brother's firstborn son is named Troy for Troy Aikman. Yep, Troy. I love my nephew. Troy Aikman. But that's the connection between my family and the Cowboys. I don't like the Cowboys. And I'm wearing the tie. I'll tell you why. As I said, my brothers love the Cowboys. Many of you know my um, brother Chuck was diagnosed with brain cancer about three and a half years ago. Uh, and he passed away in August. It took my sister-in-law several months to finally get into his closet and start the process. It was just obviously very painful for her. She started with the ties and this is one, the one she picked out and gave to me. She didn't know how I felt. <laughs> it's embroidered on the back with a saying that uh, became synonymous with Chuck during his fight with cancer. Uh, she, she gave me a really nice note. It just said uh, something like, um, Chuck wore this tie to weddings, to funerals, to church, to a lot of big events. I hope you'll wear it one day. I promised her I'd wear it on the first day that I preach after she gave this to me. So that's the story of the tie. But it has a lot to do with my message as well. Because a couple months before Chuck passed away, um, he asked me to preach at his funeral. That's the message I'm going to preach to you today. Um, I think it's an important one, uh, I, and I do it cautiously. Um, you know, I, earlier in the week as I was preparing, I'm blubbering away, uh, and I said, nobody wants to watch me cry for 30 minutes. So yesterday, as I'm going over my notes, I was stone cold, and I thought, nobody wants me to, no one wants to see somebody who has no emotion about his brother passing away. 
there's a, I realize there's a balance here. Uh, this is an emotional message for me. Uh, but I, I, I have been praying for you. I pray that this is, uh, just kind of resonates in your hearts. You know, when Chuck was sick, uh, I heard the question often asked by many people, why Chuck? Why Chuck? Why a married dad of six children? Why? Why a guy who dedicated his life to serving the state of Maryland as a Maryland state trooper for 26 years? And when he retired, he joined the Somerset County Sheriff's Office because he loved the job and serving people so much. Why, Chuck? I even, one of my uncles said to me, why would God choose a good guy and not the bad guys he had to lock up for nearly 30 years. Why not? Listen, as Christians, we understand there's none righteous. There's none righteous. We also understand, however, that righteousness is imparted to God's people in Christ. Praise God for that. David wrote, uh, uh, the Lord is good to all, all, not just the good, everyone. That's common grace. The sun rises on the evil and the good. It rains on the just and the unjust. That doesn't help to answer the question, though, why Chuck, why my first best friend? Would you pray with me, please? <sighs> Lord, I'm thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for what it teaches us. And I'm so thankful that it has an answer for the question, why? Thank you for that. Speak to our hearts today, please. May your Holy Spirit be at work in the lives of your people in this room. And may we leave here today just a little bit different a little bit changed with a little bit more trust. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Bless this time I commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I am in the book of Habakkuk, if you would turn there. book of Habakkuk has an answer for the question, why?
My passage is actually in chapter 3, but I'm going to start in chapter 1 just to set the stage so you understand where we're headed, okay? So if you would be in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Bible says this. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why? Do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife and contention. Let me stop there. Listen. The first three verses of the book, and there's the question, why? Why is there so much trouble in the world? Why am I surrounded by violence? Why do bad things happen? Can we ask these questions today? The same questions. Why is there so much trouble in the world? Why is there so much violence? Why do bad things happen? In verses 5 to 11, God says to Habakkuk that he's going to raise up a powerhouse among the heathen who crush Judah and punish her for her sin. God says the Babylonians are coming, which is interesting because Babylon was not the superpower of the day. It was the Assyrians. God says, I'm going to raise up a nation, a heathen nation. And believe me, Habakkuk, Judah's sin will be dealt with. Look down at verse 12. Chapter 1 still. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them for judgment. And oh, mighty God, oh, rock, is what that means. You have established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk says in faith, God, you are an everlasting God. It's written as a question, but it's actually a factual statement. You are the God of everlasting. You have made a covenant with your people. We won't die. We will not be wiped out. I hear what you're saying and we'll be punished. But that will not be the end of your people. I believe it, Lord. I believe it. 
but... And he asks the question again, why? Why would you use a nation that is more wicked than we are to judge your own people? Why? God again answers, and he essentially says, don't worry about a thing. Habakkuk, do not worry about a thing. I have it all under control. And there are statements in chapter 2 like, the just shall live by faith. The earth shall one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the Lord is in his holy temple. Be still and keep silent in his presence. Turn to chapter 3 now, please. Chapter 3. And look at verse 17. The question is, why do bad things happen? Or more personally for me, more personally for me, why did my mom die of Alzheimer's after a 10-year struggle and just withered away to less than 80 pounds before she died five years ago? Why did my brother have brain cancer? Why did he die in August? That hurts. Lord, why? Listen, I am confident that everyone in this room can ask a similar question. Why and fill in the blank. Why, Lord, did this happen? The first three verses of Habakkuk introduce the question, why? Why do bad things happen? The last three verses answer the question. Look at verse 17. Oh, I love these verses. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Listen, I am uh, very comfortable. Whenever I do my own personal Bible study. Um, I, I, I'm comfortable with what I grew up with, which is King James, and that's what I'm reading out of now. When I read my Bible for leisure, I read this little book. It's the contemporary English, or pardon me, today's English version, the TEV. Today's English version. I read it because 
When I was in the police academy, one of the guys who was in my class was also in the Army Reserves. And these are the Bibles they passed out for free to all of the kids who joined the military. They gave one to every one of us in our class, and I love it. I love this little book. Let me read these verses. Uh, just sounds a little bit different, and I like the way it's translated. Listen to this. Even though the fig trees have no fruit, and no grapes grow on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no grain, even though the sheep all die, and the cattle stalls are empty, I will still be joyful and glad because the Lord God is my Savior. The sovereign Lord gives me strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer and keeps me safe on the mountains. Before I get into the answer to the question, I want you to imagine what these verses mean. God says to Habakkuk, you're going to be punished. And the punishment is going to be swift. It's going to be strong. And the land is going to be decimated. If you saw, listen, about 10 years ago maybe, something. There was a, a movie with Will Smith uh, called I Am Legend. Uh, which was based on a, 19, a, a movie from the early 70s with Charlton Heston called The Omega Man, which was based on a movie from the early 1960s called The Last Man on Earth, which was based on a book of the same name. So, in this room, every generation has had an opportunity to see some uh, version of... I am legend. If you saw the movie, there's a scene that shows New York City and the destruction. Uh, if you remember, all the buildings are down. It is totally wiped out. It is decimated. It is devastated. The buildings are crumbled, and Will Smith is simply trying to survive. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you will get a picture of what exactly Habakkuk is prophesying. Because the events, the prophecy in Habakkuk is fulfilled in Jeremiah. And it's worse than the decimation of New York City in that movie, I Am Legend. Because not only are all the buildings torn down, uh, the fields are wiped out, Jeremiah describes dead bodies in the streets and those who are left resorting to cannibalism in order to survive. It was awful. And yet Habakkuk, seeing this in the future, having a picture in his mind of what was going to happen, is able to say, even though the fig tree bears no 
even though the grapevine produces no grapes, even though the olive crop fails, even though the wheat field produces no grain, even though the fields are empty of sheep, the stalls are empty of our cattle, even though I will still be joyful and glad. That's faith. Do you hear in those three verses, do you hear the answer to the question? Why do bad things happen? I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to hold it from you. Why do bad things happen? Here it is. It's the wrong question. The question is not why do bad things happen. The question is who will you trust when bad things happen? Who will you trust? Bad things will happen. In whom will you put your trust? Habakkuk says, I will trust the Lord. Though we be wiped out, I will trust the Lord. When Chuck was sick, it was, as a matter of fact, it was about two years ago, around this time, I had an, we had an aunt pass away. She lived in uh, Florida, and her uh, children were going to do a memorial service for her. And I called Chuck and said, hey, I'd like to go. Do you want to go with me? And I really wanted him to go with me because I wanted the time with him. I wanted as much time as possible. Chuck lived on the eastern shore with his family. I saw him every now and then. I wanted to spend several days with him. 14-hour trip hotel, everything. He hesitated, but he finally said yes. And on the way down to Florida, he was quiet. Chuck's pretty, he was pretty quiet anyway, but this, I, I knew this was affecting him. He knew where it was headed. This, is, this was terminal. He was told that up front. This is terminal. At one point during our trip, I talked about a, a book Chuck had given me years ago. Uh, Chuck read this book called In the Grip of Grace by Max Lucado. I don't know how many copies of this book Blair and I have given away since I read it. It's exceptional. Exceptional, and I highly recommend it. And I will buy you a copy if you don't have the means. I, I just think so highly of it. There's a story in this book I want to read. The question I asked Chuck as we talked about this story I'm going to read you is, Chuck, with all you're going through, is God still good? He said, I don't know. That was real. 
That was a real answer. It wasn't the one I wanted to hear, but it was very real. Let me read this to you. About a page and a half, so be patient with me. There are times when the one thing you want is the one thing you never get. You're not being picky or demanding. You're only obeying his command to ask God for everything you need. Philippians 4, 6. All you want is an open door or an extra day or an answered prayer for which you will be thankful. And so you pray and wait. No answer. You pray and wait. No answer. You pray and wait. May I ask a very important question? What if God says, What if the request is delayed or even denied? When God says no to you, how will you respond? If God says, I've given you my grace and that is enough, will you be content? Content. That's the word. A state of heart in which you would be at peace if God gave you nothing more than he already has. Test yourself with this question. What if God's only gift to you were his grace to save you? Would you be content? You beg him to save the life of your child. You plead with him to keep your business afloat. You implore him to remove the cancer from your body. What if his answer is, my grace is enough? Would you be content? You see, from heaven's perspective, grace is enough. If God did nothing more than save us from hell, could anyone complain? If God saved our souls and then left us to spend our lives leprosy struck on a deserted island, would he be unjust? Having been given eternal life, dare we grumble at an aching body? Having been given heavenly riches, dare we bemoan earthly poverty? Let me be quick to add. God has not left you with just salvation. If you have eyes to read these words, hands to hold this book, the means to own this volume, he has already given you grace upon grace. The vast majority of us have been saved and then blessed even more. But there are those times when God, having given us his grace, Hears our appeals and says, my grace is sufficient for you. Is he being unfair? Listen to this last paragraph. 
in a previous book, I talked about how our oldest daughter fell into a swimming pool when she was two years old. A friend saw her and pulled her to safety. What I did not tell was what happened the next morning in my prayer time. I made a special effort to record my gratitude in my journal. I told God how wonderful he was for saving her. As clearly as if God himself were speaking, this question came to mind. Would I be any less wonderful had I let her drown? Would I be any less a good God for calling her home? Would I still be receiving your praise this morning had I not saved her? Is God still a good God when he says no? And the answer is yes. God is good. Let me tell you, he was good when Chuck was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. He was good the day Chuck died. He's good today. And he's good tomorrow and beyond. God is good. Will you trust him? Listen to these verses one more time. Even though the fig trees have no fruit and no grapes grow on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no grain, even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty, even though my brother Chuck passed away six months ago, even though his wife is alone, even though his children don't have a dad, five daughters who will not be given away by their dad, even though, and you fill in the blank, because every one of you can do it, with something, even though, can you say it? I will trust him. Even though, even though, I will trust him. Here's the rub. You can't trust someone you don't know. You can't trust someone you don't know. Turn to the book of Psalm. Chapter 145. I'm wrong. I'm way off. <laughs> Psalm chapter 9. Please forgive me. Psalm chapter 9. Ugh, terrible. Psalm chapter 9, I'll be in verse 10. Listen to what the Bible says. And they that know thy name will 
put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Let me read it again. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. What do I have to do to trust the Lord? I have to know him. What must I do to know him? Seek him. I have to seek him. Seek and you will find the Bible promises. God will not turn his back on you if you are seeking to know him. So seek him, dear people. Seek him in his word. Spend time in it. Invest in it. Know him. And your trust in him will grow even in the most difficult of circumstances. Will you trust him? What did Habakkuk say? I will still be joyful and glad. For the Lord God is my Savior. Joy is not based on circumstances. But it's based on a deep and personal and intimate relationship with God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Joy. My joy is not based on my circumstances. I still have joy in the Lord. One more time. I should have asked you to keep your finger in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Would you go back there, please? Sorry about that. Habakkuk chapter 3. And I'll be, I'm going to finish up quickly. We're, I'll try. Thank you. Careful, I might now. <laughs> uh. What is the result of trusting? What is the result of trusting in God? The Lord God, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds' feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. The sovereign Lord gives me strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer and keeps me safe on the mountains. Like a deer, Habakkuk says at the conclusion of his book, like the deer on the steep, hilly terrain, you will not fall. Because God will be there through the difficult circumstances. He will be there to help you through them. You're not going around them. You can't go over them, but God will be there to help you through them. Even when someone you deeply love passes away. Even when a child is afflicted with disease. Even when a loved one is struggling with depression even when, fill in the blank, my finances, Lord, my marriage, Lord, I will trust him. 
we all do that. God bless you.